<coughs> oh God. <laughs> Welcome to the Boil Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hey, Don. Hey, y'all. I'm Sam. Sam. How are you, Don? I'm filled with grief. Well, that, that's appropriate considering this is the uh, the loss special. <laughs> Not the lost special, but the loss. I haven't had a Starbucks ice venti non-fat latte in two weeks. And it looks like you might have dropped a little weight from that. I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, I, I wish folks could see us right now because uh, we got a couple of guests that will have introduced themselves in a moment, but uh, we're all on Zoom and uh, we got a little Brady Bunch gallery view going on. So, uh, you know, right now we need people to look up and down and left and right and, <laughs> and we can totally do the Brady Bunch opening. Well, thank um, goodness for Zoom, Sam. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, we were just talking before the show. Imagine this 15 years ago. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous has taken to Zoom like crazy. Alcoholics Anonymous has taken to it because it works. I mean, it's really very effective, and I feel like I do connect with people. And and the meeting that that I've been doing at 5:30 every day, there's actually been some new people who've come in and gotten sober. So people are actually getting sober. So like at first, I was thinking, is it possible to get for people to get sober when there are no meetings? But that's what the big book was originally written for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people had no one else to rely on when this first started. I mean, that's what the big book was about was, you know, here's how we did this. Get a copy, read it, do what we did, and, and you too can, can find sobriety. I think, I think it's really interesting that this is going to be normal AA for the people who come in right now. Yeah. Going to a physical meeting is going to feel abnormal to them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you have all that, you have to be around all those people. People. <laughs> <laughs> Not that. But I don't, I'll be, I'll be happy when it does return to normal. Hopefully when you're hearing this, it, things are more normal. Who knows? It's hard to tell when it's going to be, but I'm glad we have what we have. And that it works, we're privileged because we've got internet connection, Sam. Everybody doesn't even have an internet, you know. Now, what about them? What about folks that, gosh. There are folks that are hurting you know? through this. There is no doubt about that. So there's a lot of loss. But actually, the reason for today's topic, really, was you had personally lost someone recently. Yeah, Um so back in February, and, and, and I think it's reasonable to mention, so it, this is about two months later that we're re- recording this episode. In February, my mother fell ill. I uh, had been at the men's meeting, and as we were all circled up uh, saying the prayer to close the meeting, I um, got a text message from my stepfather saying that my mother uh, was on the way to the hospital, and that was the beginning of a very quick and, well, not terribly quick, but... Um, a very rough spell. 
You know, it's the short of it is she had a brain aneurysm. Uh, I got to the hospital before he did, and I got to see her um, be there for her while she was terrified in the emergency room. And then she was transferred to another hospital, to a neurological ICU, and was very much becoming more and more of herself. Um, And that night, they had scheduled emergency surgery, uh, and she had a, a seizure as they were transferring her to the operating table. And and she was on a ventilator, and that was on February 15th. The morning of February 15th is when the news started, and on the night of February 18th, we took her off the ventilator, um, and she died. So, uh, if sorry, sorry, Sam. It's well, you know, time. I didn't go through this alone. And that's one of the absolute most graceful things and gracious things that I got during this crazy, crazy time. I was connected with all kinds of friends in recovery on Facebook and through text messaging and phone calls. Um, I was not alone. Uh, My husband was with me at the hospital as much as he could be. Uh, and my stepfather was there as well. And, and that's one of the things we don't have to be alone today. I you don't to have go to through be this alone, alone and, would have been horrible. Sh- and you showed up for something difficult. Absolutely. That when I was drinking, I didn't show up for what, for when my grandmother died, I didn't show up for her. I, I visited her one time in the hospital and it was uh, so painful for me that I just decided to go to the, I went to the bar right after I left her. And I, it was like, I couldn't, I just can't deal with it. And I didn't ever go back again. And I wish I could make amends for that, but I can't because she died. But uh, what I did do was when I got sober, my brother got ill and, and he died in, in when I was uh, two years sober. And I was there for him. I was there for him the whole, the whole time. And so I apply like my amends for what I did. It was all I could do with my grandmother. That's where I was at the time. I couldn't, I just couldn't take it, but I was there for my brother and that's what I can do for my grandmother, you know, and for you to be able to show up and be there for her. It's, that's that's what we can do instead of running away from it. Yeah, it's what we do, can do. You know, and I'm, again, I, the, the huge amount of gratitude for the, the so incredibly so many people who showed up for me throughout all of that and, and after it. And uh, I think it's been a hell of a lot easier than it could have been. I know it's been a hell of a lot easier than it could have been. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that uh, I never have to be alone again is one of the things that I heard when I came into these rooms. 
And so I'm going to segue now so that we can introduce our guests because we're not alone here. <laughs> we're not alone. No, we've got two people looking at us and they're from these little boxes down here. Ladies first. Uh, Alex, alcoholic. Um, sorry for rustling. I, I started leaking when Sam was talking and needed tissues. So I'm, You started I'm leaking? I don't, I don't, that's not, too much information. I was crying, you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Alex. Glad to have hey. you on here again. Yeah. I'm glad you're here, Alex. And Chris. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris, an alcoholic. Hey, hey Chris. Chris. Hey, Thanks for joining us again, too. I'm very happy to be here. I just was saying, you were talking about um, ancient technology and not being able to connect. When I got sober, I had a dial phone attached to my kitchen wall <laughs> i still used That's a right. typewriter so <laughs> i bet that dial phone had a had a 20 foot cord on it too it right did i could walk into the garage with it and hide so we could trip <laughs> dinosaurs <laughs> but the the funny thing is it's a, the telephone still as heavy as a cell phone when you it's time to call your sponsor and you don't want to <laughs> <laughs> which is most of the time <laughs> So we wanted to talk about dealing with grief and dealing with loss in recovery. Alex, how is that different for you? How do you react differently with loss and with grief? It's not something I really experienced outside of recovery. Um, my, I grew you, up. Excuse in a, me. You were a happy drunk. Oh, no. <laughs> no um, I had never lost anyone close to me, super close to me, um, before I got sober. So the actually dealing with, with that kind of grief, you know, I, I've only ever done it sober, which was interesting in its own way. I, I don't know when I would lose things when I was drinking or things wouldn't go the right way. It wasn't grief. It wasn't sadness. It wasn't loss it was persecution um it was why are these things happening to me in recovery it's been pain it's been i don't understand it's been i've done the right things why would this happen but in that there's been the process of it's not stuck in that place it's those are the thoughts that kind of go through you know and make this mashed up cloud in my head and I'm able to work through them with my sponsor with writing um you know with with different tools and it leads me a lot faster to acceptance that I don't like it um I don't like it you know something doesn't happen right at work or if I don't get the raise or if Hulu's taking a long time loading or a year ago when I lost my dad I don't like it but I can live through it today. And like Sam said, we are so much not alone. And it is, you know, the different, different things that we grieve. You know, for me, the, the closest one has been my dad because that was, that was my human. But right now the world is grieving, you know, and they're grieving different things. You know, my struggle is not the same as someone else's and theirs isn't the same as, the person across the street, you know, it's, 
it's the loss of job security. It's the loss of home security. It's the, the inequality of it showing. It's the sickness. It's disease. It's it's all of the things. Um, it's not being able to get outside. It's having a five-year-old who's running around insane and you can't escape. You know, it's all of the things. I have things that can't happen, celebrations that are postponed, birthdays, and, and it's okay to be sad about those things. And that it's not wrong. Like, I don't have blanket acceptance of, oh, okay, this is awesome. You know, usually if I have to accept something, it's something that I don't like. If I liked it, I'd be like, that's awesome. Not, oh, I'll accept this, you know, kind well, of. That's, well, that's it. So, like, I used to run from anything that I didn't like. So, uh, well, I didn't run from it. I, I just got drunk. <laughs> I mean, that's the way I ran from it, was by getting drunk. The fact is that I don't need to run away from the feeling like, like for me running away from my grandmother's situation and not participating in recovery, I'm able to show up for it and accept the fact that there's going to be things that I don't like, like what we have now. I'm getting really tired of it, but there's not there except the things I cannot change. I can't change it. I need to move through it instead of run away from it. And, you know, when we talked about doing this episode, gosh, that was maybe the end of February. Mm -hmm. And the original idea about doing this was, was talking about um, death, um, talking about losing people. And as Alex uh, has, has spoken to, there is so much more to loss that so many of us are experiencing right now. I can't imagine doing this and not being sober. We, with this community that we have, see, the support that you have from AA, the support that I have, it's incredible. We're holding each other up. Mm-hmm. We are. Chris, what loss are, are you going to speak to? Well, I will say this. I have a lot of experience with death of close people in my life, both before sobriety and after. Um, when I was 12 years old, we sat down to Thanksgiving dinner and in the middle of the prayer, my uncle died in the den next to the, which was the room next to the dining room. Mm. And um, so by that Christmas, my brother and I had determined that the route to take was to drink. So I took my first drink, which was an entire bottle of wine and uh, my first joint of marijuana. And um, we were off and running. And, that, and so what happened in, those, in the next year and a half in my dad's family, that was his brother who died on Thanksgiving. His older sister died, and they were both in their 40s. And then my grandfather died, who was in his 80s, all within a year and a half. So for me, it's kind of come in a lot of waves like that. Uh, along the way, I've lost other family members. My grandfather, who was my hero, died when I, in 1998 after I was sober. Um, I was 14 years sober at the time, and it was very different from the, the previous experiences. In the previous experiences, we just got high and drunk at, before, during, and after the funerals. But this one, my grandfather's death, uh, we were there, we were present, we were sober. And the difference was uh, a lot of what people have talked about so far, the support from the fellowship. And... Even in the family, there was more laughter this time. Um, And that's the thing that I've noticed about Alcoholics Anonymous and all all the support that it gives is that 
there is a lot of laughter even in tragedy. And I find that to be a healing balm for me that has, and it's not just the laughter, it's the being able to share, it's the being able to feel the whole range of emotions that we have as human beings and not be afraid to offer that up to the community for support. And somehow along the way, we find ourselves back to the possibility instead of spiraling into deep depression and just staying there, healing through love and laughter and joy and the kind of freedom that we get in sobriety. So then uh, in 2011, 2012, seven people in my close circle died in 11 months. And then last year, my dad died in July. And within the next three months, I lost four other close people. This last year has been really rough on you. It was tough, but it's also, I had a different reaction than any other time. And I think it's directly attributable to staying uh, grounded in the AA program and the principles that we practice. And it had to do with um, what it, what I did was my orientation became not so much my loss as how I can heal my way through this and possibly carry the best qualities of those people that I've lost into my own life. So trying to cultivate the kind of leadership abilities and compassion that my father carried and the, and so on for all the different people I've lost. And so for some reason it's, it's been hard. I've, I've had a lot of sadness. I've had a lot of tears, but I've also been able to share and write and uh, work through it in a way that was actually, I feel like somehow it made me a better person. The thing that, really gets me uh, that I learned in my second year when my uh, wife's brother and and his wife died in a plane crash. And I was two years sober at the, on the day of the funeral was the, probably the strongest time I had the desire to drink in sobriety. And I really wanted to drink. So I did everything that AA asked me to do. That was to call my sponsor, which I did. We had lunch and we talked and he, he said all the right things and it all nothing touched it. I wanted to get drunk. I went to a meeting that day. It didn't touch it. And I talked to someone who in the program who uh, came to my home group and she had lost her son early in her sobriety. And she struggled with that continuously because the thing is, it never goes away. He's always gone. But I was talking to her and I was going, I, you know, I, I'm a, I've got to get drunk. I, I just can't, I just can't handle this and it won't go away. There's no, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she said, well, Don, it feels like that if you allow yourself to feel the loss, that it will kill you that that feeling is going to kill you and it won't kill you. Allow yourself to feel it when it comes up, feel it, let it come out and you will survive it. It won't kill you. Well, (laughs) I hung up the phone and I cried. And, and then after that, I went to the funeral where there was a bunch of people gathered there was a guy there who I've been told was in AA, one of the cousins. I'd never met him, but 
he was the first person that I talked to some stranger when I walked up and said, Oh, you're Jimmy. And he said, yeah, I'm Jimmy. Uh, uh, I'm in AA as well. I heard, heard about you. And I said, I am too, to your supper. And I don't know, we made fun of each other's ties <laughs> and just that kind of connection there. It was gone. This incredible passion to drink was, was evaporated because I allowed myself to feel it and move through it. And that's been my journey with through all of recovery, including with what we're going on today. It's a matter of, I'm not going to fight it. I'm going to sit in the discomfort of the uncertainty of the, of the impossible thing that I can't do anything about. But I know that with my higher powers help, I'll get through it because of all the bad things that have happened to me. I've got a hundred percent track record of getting through it. <laughs> it's happened every time. And the other thing that kicks in for me on that, in addition to what you've said, is when I can ask to be shown how I can be of service, how can I help? It shows up. You know, I think that, that we may be wired this way, but I certainly know that I am wired this way, that when I can help, when I can do things for others, I feel better. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something that I knew before I even came into Alcoholics Anonymous, alcohol was just totally in the way of me doing it. You know, it was one of the things that I even tried to, to be to volunteer service and things like that. And I did great when I was doing it. And then I'm like, shit, I want to get drunk. And so I would go get drunk instead of keeping my commitment to volunteer and be of service. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those things that it makes me feel better. It helps me get through whatever's going on. I, I uh, got you. You know, we're talking about the uh, the COVID nineteen crisis uh, and all of the uh, the loss that people are experiencing in that. Um, I'm an IT consultant. My business has been booming quite a bit, helping people get set up for work from home. Last Saturday, you know, I'm still managing to take the weekends off for the most part. But last Saturday, I was so over it. I I, I totally had the rids, restless, irritable, discontented, um, completely rids. R.I.D. Yeah. Restless, irritable, discontented. discontented. And I called a friend down in Florida that uh, the only reason that I was calling him was because he had told me the night before that his phone was going to explode and he needed to get a new one. And I was just calling to check up and see how that went for him because he's not very technologically adept. And I gave him some suggestions, et cetera. Turned out the, that went fine, but uh, he was having problem connecting to Zoom meetings on his computer. So we wound up spending almost six hours uh, on the phone, FaceTiming and doing remote control session of his computer, not only getting him set up for, for Zoom meetings and all that kind of stuff, just helping him get things squared up. And this was me helping a friend. That's all it was. It wasn't sitting there watching the clock and making money. It was using the talents that I have to help someone. Yeah, being useful to someone else. And that did an amazing thing for my restless irritability and discontentedness. Yeah, Chris. Sam, something Sam was talking about there, the whole idea of doing service. When this first happened and we were socially isolating, I immediately thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to try a little harder to do that because we're all separate. How am I gonna help anyone when we can't be with anyone? 
And then my phone started ringing off the hook from, with other alcoholics who were, I have, I've sponsored several guys in the program. And I got to tell you, they don't call me that often, but boy, have they been in this. Good. And so what it does for me is it takes me out of my own ego and fear and allows me to do what Sam was just talking about, just helping a friend. And mostly I just listen. Um, and then because of this situation, both my sons have been doing the same thing, which they don't call me that often either. And usually don't call me for advice because they're grown up men and don't need dads for dad for that that often, but they do now. And so I didn't have to try at all. It just came to me. And I think of that as grace, at least. Because I'm like, okay, I can just sit at home and wait for the phone to ring. <laughs> and it doesn't take long. It might ring while we're doing this. So I better and and there is a, there's a point here too, folks who are listening. Call your sponsor. <laughs> Seriously, you're going to help your sponsor. Well, that's, that's the case. It, I, you know, I remember waking up on my bed in the morning in high school and sitting on the bed in the morning thinking of going to school that day. And I felt that life was utterly meaningless, that there was no value in anything. It was an awful feeling of existential dread. I mean, I understand existential dread. It was a horrible feeling. And drinking took that away. And it worked really well. Wait, did you just say that drinking cures being a teenager? Yeah, it did for me. (laughs) It did for me. It did for me. I was in a blackout the whole time. (laughs) I hear you. But then when I got in AA and I got sober... You know, like the lady who was able to help me, well, that helped her experience that she went through losing her son, the most horrible thing that anyone could possibly think of to happen to a person. That loss became the gold where she saved me from getting drunk because she did. Mm -hmm. I was going to get drunk that day. I've had the experience of sharing some of the loss that I've had with, with another person who's going through it. And it heals me to be able to go, I've been there. I, I know that feeling. It it's does. a terrible feeling. Well, you know, I've, I've said many times our greatest liabilities become our greatest assets and that's nothing original to me. I've heard it many times in the rooms, but it also, you know, a liability, our greatest pain becomes our greatest assets too, where we get to help folks. Yeah. Alex. I know when my dad died, he, I talked to him maybe an hour before he died. He wasn't sick. He was sitting on the couch and then he died. It was so um, sudden. Yeah. And I, and I called back cause I had a question, you know, or, or something. And they were like, did you hear the news? Your father's dead. And I was like, excuse the what? And, um, and I was really calm for maybe two minutes and uh, I hung up the phone and I went in the house and I started screaming because it was just like, no, you know, the, the whole shock and little. And I think I know that happened on a Friday and I was down uh, where my parents lived Saturday, Sunday, and I came back Monday and I was back to work on Tuesday because I had to be not, I was working a wonderful job. They would have given me two months off if I asked. 
work, I could keep it together. My, my coworkers knew, you know, if I was like, Hey, you know, I need, I need a hand. They'd take over for me for five minutes, but I was pretty good at work because I, I could go and I could do and I could be, and I showed up at meetings in whatever state I was in, which was usually fairly unlovely because, you know, there was, there was no level of preparedness. There was no, it was just like, Hey, and I didn't know what to do. No one had ever died before. You know, I was like, what? You know, it was this brand new world. I didn't know how to do grief correctly. And what I learned is there's not a correct way to do it. <laughs> you know, because I'm like, should I be feeling this way? Should I be doing this? Should, you know, is it okay that I haven't showered for three days? <laughs> you know, like, what can I do? And then. It was funny when my dad died that Friday, I texted, I think I texted, I might've called, but I don't think I was able to call at that point um, of my sponsor and one or two other people. And within two hours, maybe the whole of AA was just like, we got you, baby. Mm. You know, I didn't have to tell anybody, you know, yeah. like yeah. Chris was talking about and Dawn, you know, like, there are people who have gone before us with AA, with the steps, with grief, with doing this in recovery and what it looks like, what it doesn't look like. I know some of the most sober people I know, you know, when someone close to them dies, takes six months off work. And if that's what needs to happen, it's what needs to happen. You know, for me, I had to go back to work and people were like, why are you working? And I'm like, I don't know. It feels like the right thing to do. And for me, it was. And owning that as my own personal grief journey and having even more compassion for the process and the paths that it takes that I, I see my dad when I hear an oldie song or a little frog is like hopping along the road because he would have loved that shit, you know, and that's, that's sad kind of going, I'm still here, you know, and maybe that's not true for other people. Maybe, you know, it's that, it becomes very real and very personal and part of that experience that we were talking about that, you know, those things become our greatest assets that we can reach where no one else can, you know, that we have alcoholism and we have this unique experience with loss and suffering and grief. Don't you think that the longer that you've been sober, this is my experience, the longer I've been sober feels like that, I should be able to somehow escape grief. Like I should be so spiritually developed that I can, you know, okay, I have grief. There it is. Yes, I feel, I recognize I have grief. That's why I'm, I feel this way. That's why I'm sad. So I need to get over this. Well, no, I don't get to get over it. I have to go through it. And there's a, a little bit of judgment, like like Alex saying that there's the right way to do grief. There is, mm -hmm. you know, there is no right way. The, the right way is to feel it. The wrong way is to run from it. Yeah. But the problem is, is that you got, you know, when you get sober, you'll feel better. You feel better. You feel everything better. And yeah. that means the bad stuff as well as the good stuff. You know, one of the things that um, that has served me through this, and it served me with my grandmother as well, um, is uh, is going to a therapist. You know, I, it's 
fortuitous, it's grace, it's, it's God, whatever you want to call it. But uh, does it make you a weak person or that you're insane somehow if you go to a therapist? Hell no. Now I might be weak and insane, but it's not because I go to a therapist. Uh, (laughs) um, But you know, back in 2016, I was supposed to have back surgery. And so I agreed to go on pain meds for the three months prior to that surgery knowing that there was an end in sight to the pain meds and then the surgery didn't happen. And it was over a year until the surgery actually did happen. And a few months before that surgery, I uh, was talking with my sponsor and I told him, it's like, you know, I don't think I'm depressed, but someone looking at me might think I am. And he was like, well, why don't you talk to a therapist and find out? And so I did. And I started talking with this therapist and I had my surgery continued talking with the therapist, even came to my home while I was recovering. And then my grandmother died. Having already built that relationship with this therapist made it so much easier to talk with him while I was going through this with my grandmother. Yeah. You had, you had a relationship. Exactly. And you know, and a few months after my grandmother's death, um, we stopped seeing each other. I, I didn't, you know, his purpose had been served. In January, I started going to him again because with our our planned move and all that, I knew that I was just going to have a lot of stress going and that it was a smart thing for me to get some some sessions going again, get that relationship going. And then comes February and my mother dies and I'm able once again to talk with this man who I absolutely blame for my mother and my grandmother's deaths because it's only after I started talking with him that they died. That's a joke. And, uh, and so, you know, therapy is incredibly important and our program says our big book says, you know, seek the help from professionals. The 12 steps don't fix everything. They level the playing field. That's right. And we're powerless over a, a whole lot more than just alcohol. Yeah. Chris. So I was just going to say what happened for me in recovery was that Alcoholics Anonymous opened the door for a lot of different pathways of growth and spiritual help. And so if you'd have told me when I first got sober or before that I would go be going to see a therapist regularly, I would have said, you're crazy, mm-hmm. not me. <laughs> and if you'd have told me that I was going to sit in a room with a bunch of men on Saturday mornings, half of them <laughs> crying half the time and talking about deep, painful emotions most of the time, Men talking about their feelings. I would have said you're really crazy. You need you need to see a therapist. And so, uh, and then if you told me I would try different spiritual paths, like um, the Quaker meeting that I go to, or um, you know various other things like meditation and and all those things, I just said not me. And now I do all those things regularly, and I think, oh, this is how it is. And um, what it's done for me is like open my eyes and open my heart and open my life up to real, like big possibilities. But when Don was talking about thinking you're supposed to glow in the dark by this point in sobriety, some, at some point you're a spiritual giant and people will know that just by looking at Spiritual you. gas giant. Yeah, gas <laughs> giant. It's utterly absurd what we are as human beings on a path together. And we stumble, we trip, we fall, we get up, we have help, we seek help, we do all the things that human beings do. 
and we gradually make progress. Progress, not perfection. That's and we're attacked by owls if we don't protect our heads. <laughs> <laughs> now we have drone owls. They are in your spaces too, y'all. Watch out. <laughs> You have to watch out for the crows because one day I walked out dressed for work in my nice work clothes to get in my car <laughs> and a crow dropped his roadkill breakfast on my shirt. This was after it was processed through his digestive system, straight down my face and down my shirt. Oh my God. And I just had to go inside and take a shower and tell my wife to burn my clothes. And, um, and Do I detect cried. a little resentment? I cried a little bit in the shower, honestly. <laughs> Feel your feelings, Chris. That was because it got in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. It smelled like rancid roadkill. I just will say that. Well, our owls are house trained. Yeah. <laughs> this is a house trained owl. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for our old timers question. Who are you calling an old timer? Oh, well, this doesn't read well considering this episode. You, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, that's what happens if you keep on keeping on, too. That no Sunny. longer how long you've been sober, <laughs> it's still one day at the time. Shammy. <laughs> you can post a question at boiledowlaa.org. Uh, we have a question from T Rex. Um, T-Rex is spelled capital T and then capital W-R-E-C-K-S. Rex. T-Rex writes, I am new in sponsoring and am struggling with speed of steps. I understand that both dragging ass and speeding right through can be injurious. I've heard lots of members say they hit one through three quick and start four. We can always circle back around. Do you think how quickly a sponsor guides a sponsee through the steps is subjective to each sponsee? Yeah, probably so. I've gone back and forth on this because when I first got sober, my first sponsor, we went directly through the steps, step one, step two, step three. Then I got another sponsor and started going to uh, a big book study, and I started doing the steps as we reached them in the book. So basically, step one was the whole first pages of the big book. So it, took, it, it could be six months before you get to step four. And it could be even longer if you talk a whole lot when you're reading this, those first chapters before you actually get to how it works. So I, d I have found that I don't like that as much because I do think that's too long. I don't see any reason not to start working the steps at the beginning and reading and so your knowledge grows from working the steps and reading the big book and it changes. So it's going to change. Go ahead, I think, and do the steps with the sponsor at the very beginning. There's no reason to put it off. And then when you get to it later, you can always go through it again. Shoot, I've gone through the steps many times. There's, it's not like it's and every time it's more informative because we talk about peeling the onion, you know, that onion gets down to where you peel it down so far, there's a scallion inside. But then there's the scallion's got layers, skillions of layers in a scallion. <laughs> so there's always more layers and there's always more 
understanding to to get. So go ahead. I think you start the steps right at the beginning and just move through them sequentially. Well, thank you, old timer. Hey, Alex, what do you think? Don must have missed my talk on the everlasting, ever-blooming onion. Uh, <laughs> I meet with him once a week. I sit down. We read. And we do the steps as we read them. That's how I was sponsored. And I was through the steps the first time in six months. We're reading. We're doing. And if they get hung up, I mean, I was hung up on two and three, you know, but I was still working and my sponsor would kind of give me other resources and stuff to work through it, you know, and, to, but that was, that was shit stuff I did on my own. She was like, this is, you know, the things that you need to look at and read and, you know, do that stuff. But we're one trick ponies, you know, we've got nothing but the steps and the steps are in the book. And, um, you know, I'm not going to tell them to do anything that I haven't done. And a lot of times they're kind of going, did you really do that? And I'm like, we're reading in the book. It's right there. Uh-huh. You know, and so it's kind of because I'm a smart ass, but also because that's where the answer is. And even though I've been doing this for a while, I can still mess up. You know, I can have read something that's maybe is not the same way I'm reading it, you know, and reading it with somebody out loud. It's kind of that new thing because sponsoring is, is for me and for that, you know, it's that recovery happens when, when you're gathered. But hell yeah, not drinking is measurable. Recovery is awesome. So the get them in the steps. Go, if they want to do a step a day, if they're, if they're getting it, fuck them. They were sponsoring and, you know, four days back in the 30s so rock on <laughs> if they're if they're getting it fuck them let them do another step i like Look, that I attitude you, oh my god i don't think you have to triple x this one okay <laughs> chris what do you think i think the the question about speed i think is definitely dependent on the person but when i first did the steps my sponsor did it that old school way he got he gathered all his sponsees. There were there were four guys in his basement every week reading the big book, reading it page by page, painstakingly taking it apart. And then uh, we did the steps in so the first three chapters are step one. And then the fourth chapter, we agnostics is step two. And then when we got into the fifth chapter, we immediately began step three and then launched straight into step four. Now, for me, that required, because I was slow, I was full of resentment. I had so many resentments that my inventory may have set a record for the time in terms of how much stuff it had on it, mostly how much redundancy it had on it. It was three full spiral notebooks, the thick kind of writing that got me through the fourth step. So it took me a while to write my fourth step. Uh, but when I did... I was released. So what he did was we kept going, but I was still writing my fourth step. He didn't slow it down for everybody else. But he's like, Chris is still writing his fourth step, but we're going to continue. Uh, so did they the like book. circle around and pick you up on the next fourth step? Yeah, we're going to, yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, uh, but now, you know, lately in the last few years, most of the people I sponsor are uh, people with double digit sobriety. And so, they they're very quick <laughs> it, it, it usually involves a few minutes of the first three steps and then some fourth step work and if i really want them to go away i make them write a, a fourth step 
Um, and then they come back and we do all, we walk all the way through and it's much quicker. But I, I have experienced it both ways and I really think it just depends on the situation. And if you've been sober long enough to sponsor somebody, just use your judgment. Yeah. I, I said, fuck them. If they're getting it, just let them do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I think it's, it's truly subjective too. Uh, my first sponsor took me through the Joe and Charlie tapes. That's how I worked the steps with her. Um, then I got my first sponsee. I was like, I didn't work these steps to learn how to take somebody through them. I worked them to save my ass. I don't know how to do this. So I got the 12 step sponsorship book from Hazelden, which is a fantastic book because it is kind of like the teacher's guide that goes with the big book. So I used that with my first sponsee and it, and it worked beautifully for him. There's another sponsee who very much uh, likes workbooks. And so there were some workbooks that I had used in a small group uh, environment working the steps and we used the workbooks for him. I've been through a number of, of situations that uh, the style that I have sponsored is different from how I was sponsored. And that comes from, you know, what works for them. Uh, the other thing is my sponsorship philosophy, if you will, changed drastically after I uh, started over in 2012. Uh, there was this amazing speaker, Lila, out of uh, Los Angeles that I heard at a, uh, a roundup, a conference. And one of the things that I loved uh, was she was talking about work the steps, work them fast. One, two, three, get that fourth step done, do that fifth step, six and seven, eight, and do some, those amends, get those amends, nine, 10, 11, 12, and, and, or excuse me, 10, 11, 12. And then we will come back around and we'll fill in the gaps. We'll really study it, but let's do the big clean sweep first. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that really uh, influenced me on the speed with let's, let's get going on this, the meaty part the four and five and the eight and nine. Let's, let's get that stuff going so that you've got uh, some experience with that and, and also some relief from the pain. I think the biggest thing for me was, you know, if we've removed the alcohol and or drugs, the, the supposed solution, um, why am I going to keep someone away from the spiritual solution? I'm going to jump in and, and let them have that as quickly as, as they can get it. Yeah, if you take away someone's pain, you better replace it. What the solution to their pain, which is alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Then you better replace it with something. Absolutely. And, and something that works. It's a one trick pony, like Alex said. It's, it's and that's steps. it. Every single way that I have worked the steps with sponsors and I have worked the steps with, or, or sponsees have worked the steps with me, it's still the steps, it's the same program. It just may be a different way of moving through those steps. There was a guy in Greensboro who, Richard G., uh, years and years ago when I first got sober, years and years ago when I first got sober, and he, would, uh, he had a thing called step doers. I, I ran through the steps with him one time. He get a group of people and we're, we're doing, we're step doers group. We meet on Thursday night, every Thursday, do one of the steps. Hmm. So step one, he had some material. I wish I had his materials. He had some material like a workbook on each step and went through it when it, that wasn't working with a sponsor. That was just working with the group together. Mm -hmm. So when it came time to do a fifth step, 
you just did it with the person sitting across from you. And then they did theirs with you and you just swap fifth steps. And I really like the idea of swapping fifth steps because it took the anxiety out of it. You're just doing an inventory. We're just going to swap fifth steps, you know, so you just sharing. <laughs> the room was full of people doing fifth steps. It was very cool because it took all, it drained, drained all that anxiety out of it. And it's just like, I'm sharing my experience and I'm getting over this. That's really interesting. It, it was different. You know, uh, today, my, uh, my sponsor, uh, which we have, have been working together for two years now, something like that. Um, we have yet to finish going through the steps because we meet for an hour a week and we have been reading out of the big book and just slowly, slowly picking apart the big book and working steps as we got through them. But yeah, like I Chris know it's been taking you a long time because I keep waiting for that amends. Well, you know, maybe you should call your sponsor. Um, <laughs> You'll get there. Uh, but, but like Chris was saying, you know, I, my, my fourth step, my, my last fourth step and fifth step were fast. Um, and, and that comes from, from two reasons. Part of it is, is I don't have nearly the crap that I used to have, but also I've got a lot of experience now with doing this work. I don't have the fear of doing the fourth step. I have experience of doing one so I can knock one out pretty quickly. Yeah. And then doing that fifth step that when it's a, some, when, when someone who is experienced with giving a fifth step is also uh, working with someone who's experienced of listening to one, they can go pretty quickly. Yeah. And also if you don't, once you've done it a couple of times, I mean, you're, you, you don't repeat the same stuff you've, and I'm living better. I mean, I'm not yeah. creating as much turmoil. So, yeah. So uh, in that thing of how quickly a sponsor guides a sponsee through the steps is subjective to each sponsee. What I'm hearing is uh, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, fuck them. <laughs> yeah. And if they're doing good, fuck them. Fuck them. Move on. <laughs> Move them right along. <laughs> Chris, Alex, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks so much, y'all. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. It's not the same thing. It's better than nothing, though. We're pretty fortunate. Oh, my God. The meme that's been going around about imagine this happening 15 years ago. Holy yeah. shit. You know? imagine, imagine what they had to do during the bubonic plague, man. They didn't have Zoom. Oh, they just drank till they died. Oh, they had, <laughs> they had carrier rats. <laughs> <laughs> the internet was... And it turned out... That that was the problem. <laughs> oh, wait, maybe it's the internet that's the problem. <laughs>